Before we get going into your Hockey IQ podcast episode, I want to thank our sponsor, Rapid Shot. Rapid Shot is the smart shooting lane. Uh, it's like a batting cage for hockey players. Very cool. Tracks your shot in three ways. Accuracy, shot speed, and reaction time. Uh, easy to use. Uh, actually, I used it when I played and was growing up. Very easy. Simply scan your phone in, select your settings, and start shooting. Uh, you can see your stats on the app and online. And you can check them out at rapidshot.com. Uh, great small business. I actually grew up with one of the owner's sons and have played with all the family members by now. Uh, just in local pickups here in Ohio. Very cool local business. Awesome product. I love it. I know quite a few NHLers have them in their homes. Uh, a lot of D1 programs have it at their rinks. So you have to check this out. Rapidshot.com. Check it out. Rapidshot, thank you so much for sponsoring our podcast. On today's episode, we have Sean Tierney. Sean is of chartinghockey.ca at Twitter, at chartinghockey. Uh, he is a wonderful resource in the public sphere. Definitely recommend, if you haven't already, giving him a follow. Uh, he'll definitely lighten up your, your timeline and give you some great things uh, to even think about and look at for the NHL and beyond. Uh, he's gotten into football recently, so we talked a lot about a we talked about a lot of things here. So, uh, what uh, Dan in your mind was the thing that stuck out to you? Well, before we get there, I don't want to fanboy too much to use your term, but he's just like you said, like a great follow, super knowledgeable, and makes us smarter. To answer your question, though, Greg, I really appreciated the stuff about uh, lineup combination and optimization. I think that's like such an interesting frontier. It's a it's a place where you know, as a coach, uh, I think there's a ton of room for, for improvement, for growth. So um, that was a really interesting conversation for me. How about you? I, I really appreciated how he would link the eye test with analytics and, you know, show that they work together hand in hand. It basically reminded me of the conversation back in the uh, 70s and 80s of our computers going to take jobs. And even in the 90s, like our computers going to take everyone's jobs. And We've all found out that computers just help humans do so much more and make it that much more productive and we're able to do so much more. We can work on problems that are higher up the food chain. So I really like that he was talking about that kind of stuff. So that's what really stuck out to me and how even on a limited resource staff that you have at the OHL compared to the NHL and what's available, you're still able to make some great strides uh, with that. I thought that was awesome. That was awesome. Without further ado, our conversation with Sean Tierney. Welcome to the podcast, Sean. Great to have you on. Yeah, excited to be on. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, well, I think you got a very interesting story. Uh, I love the work that you do. It's quite awesome. And now you're the director of analytics for the Hamilton Bulldogs. So uh, maybe give a quick background. Uh, I think it all started in your dad's card shop, right? Yeah, I mean, that's a, a story I've told once or twice. Um, so my dad runs a hockey card shop and I was an unpaid employee for uh, more years than I like to admit. And when you handle hockey cards, you wind up spending a lot of time looking at the back instead of the front where they keep the stats. And so I've always sort of been drawn to the numbers somebody's putting up just as much as the logo and the pictures and the players on the front. Um, and then a few years ago, uh, my day job originally was as a teacher and so I had summers where I had time to kind of, you know, look around and explore other interests. I started writing about hockey and wanted to have something I could add um, that was maybe unique. It was right around the time that Extra Skater was a really popular website before Daryl Metcalf was hired by the Leafs. And I just wanted to bring something a little deeper to the articles, something, just an insight that maybe you weren't getting from a beat writer or from sort of the standard media. So once I started wandering down the analytics path, um, the next step was having my own charts um, that I could put into articles, something that would make them pop and draw some eyeballs and maybe help people, um, you know, understand what I'm trying to say about a player, about a team. Um, and then that's just sort of worked its way over the past few years into mostly focusing on uh, writing articles and making viz and uh, eventually turn into the opportunity to connect with the Bulldogs and uh, do analytics for the team there too, in addition to uh, running the website that I run today as well. What is, did you have a background in like computer technology or like coding or like how did you get your start with Viz and, and really like software develop or website development? 
No, so my formal training is in political science. I was almost certain I was going to be a, a lawyer and run for office somewhere in Ontario someday and uh, veered off that path um, to be a teacher for a while. So everything to do with coding and everything to do with Viz is self-taught. And uh, I don't think my experience is totally unique. There's a, a ton of resources out in the community right now to go and follow tutorials and learn how to code, learn how to uh, make your own viz, and you can teach yourself if you spend the time. So um, no, it's it's not um, a formal computer science background that I'm coming from at all, which I hope is maybe, you know, encouraging for someone coming from a different background like I did, that um, if you're willing to put in the effort, and if you're willing to try and connect with people who can point you in the right direction, you really can learn how to do anything you want to learn. Um, because I'm certainly not an example of a super smart person out in this field. I just work at it every day and try to learn something new and have had lots and lots of help along the way. That's big. Having help. It's, uh, something we all needed at some point in time to, to get by. Um, curious, maybe some things you've learned along the way or through writing or people you've, you've met just some of those big hockey lessons. And then I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot with analytics, you know, what, what drives winning? Sure. So I, I'd say the, the big lesson is um, there's a temptation to get into a silo, I think, where either you believe, you know, stats are everything or you believe scouting in the eye test or coaching. That background is everything. And we've had that battle. Uh, the eye test analytics battle was really big on Twitter for a long time. I think that's mostly gone or it's really gone into the background as people have realized these two things fuse together. Um, but the experience of working for a hockey team and speaking to people who've played the game, who coach, who are with the players every day, who have the job of teaching a guy like, you know, here's how we exit the zone. Here's how you look off the forecheck to pass the puck the other way to make sure you're open, all that stuff. You can see how the data and the coaching fits together. But that's a perspective that I didn't bring to this naturally. I came from, you know, knowing the numbers and, and learning about the game in that way. So I think that the two sides have a lot to offer and that's something that I've been fortunate to have lots of people offer me their background and their expertise. Um, and then to your second question, what drives winning? <laughs> um, you were kind enough to send me some questions just so I had an idea beforehand. I thought about this so I'd have a good answer on hand. And there's a couple of the right answers. Like you want to control the flow of quality shots, like that expected goals. You want more of those than the other team. And you can do it New York Islanders style where you really limit all of the quality shots. You don't mind if you don't get them as long as the other guy's not getting them, the other girl's not getting them. Uh, and you try to just come out in the end or get good goaltending. Um, you can be a Toronto Maple Leafs style where you say, we have more talent than most other teams. We're going to try to get as many expected goals as we can. And if we win 5-4, if we win 10-9, that's fine. Um, and I think that's become key is that idea of controlling the flow of quality shots. Microstats are big. I think zone exits and zone entries um, is work that Corey Schneider is doing publicly for the NHL. And that's a place where we have a ton of room to grow with people providing hand track data about how we get into the zone and get out of the zone. Things that don't immediately connect to shots, but they're part of that shot chain. Uh, and then the last thing, the maybe unfun, uneducated, not uneducated, lesser <laughs> explanation is there's a lot of luck in this game, we're talking about a sport where you only score two, three, four times in a game. And it's humbling, but it's useful to step back and say, you can have a bad night. You might have traveled uh, and, you know, the flight wasn't good. You might have had the puck bounce the wrong way a couple of times and you were the better team and you lost. And I think it's good for, you know, data people and coaches and players to accept that. You know, it's, it's a game where everybody's really skilled and luck plays a role and you can only control the the inputs that you can and you can't always worry about the result you get from them as long as you're really honing in on the inputs and controlling those as much as you can that's critical trying to get a kid to realize that even in coaching is absolutely mind-blowingly uh painful sometimes like just Process because it worked results. out yeah yeah just because it worked out doesn't mean it was a good idea and just because right. it didn't work out doesn't mean it was a bad idea like that's a terrible way to look at decision making quality so uh, that's got to be a pain in the butt a bunch of the time. Well, yeah, and I think, you, you know, if you're talking about NHL, you're looking at 
complete professionals, million dollar salaries, an entire lifetime devoted to the game. And so the expectation is you're talking about, you know, 28 year old, 30 year old people with their 60 year old coaches. There's an expectation that they get it, that, you know, just because you got the right result doesn't mean you did the right things and vice versa. But, you know, my work uh, with a team so far has been 16 and 17 year olds. And so you're not talking about pro athletes. You're not necessarily talking about people who are maybe ever going to be professional athletes uh, and their kids. And so that teaching component of, you know, trust the process, do the right things, and then don't worry about the results. That's a really hard lesson uh, for a teenager. I remember, you know, it wasn't that long ago that I was a teenager and it's not a lesson I would have understood well at the time either. And um, I just, a lot of credit goes to the junior level hockey players who can understand, do the right things, listen to the coaching, trust the process, even when the results aren't good. I I think that's hard, uh, especially when you're not talking NHL professional level. Let's stay in the OHL here for a minute. I'm curious how you've seen analytics evolve or grow in the OHL, you know, since you began there and and maybe like where you think it's going to go. Obviously, you know, there's more money flowing into it with, you know, more resources at least. And uh, I'm just curious, like, where you think it's going to go? Yeah, I think it'll, um, it's an area that's really grown. Um, My first year working formally um, was three, almost four years ago. Um, And there's been a lot of change just in that amount of time. There were a couple of teams who publicly had somebody doing analytics at the OHL level. And now most teams have somebody with a role that sounds like director of analytics or uh, something like that. And so it's becoming the kind of thing that every team recognizes there's data you can't get off the league's website uh, and it goes beyond goals and assists and you need people tracking the data that you can't get and then examining which, which piece of that data really matter, really connect to winning results in the end. And so it's really growing, but it has a ton of room to grow. And the NHL hasn't gotten very far relative to other sports either. You know, they're really trying to get tracking data off the ground we saw pieces of it in the playoffs, you know, labels on players and skating speed and a couple of things like that. But we haven't really seen that roll out at the NHL level yet. And so, you know, until the NHL has got that really solid, it's going to be a few years before we can expect the same sorts of trickle down effects into the OHL. So right now I think the case is, you know, it's a lot of people doing a lot of eyes on doing a lot of manual tracking, doing a lot of deciding what you have the capacity to even handle and process for yourself and for other teams and trying to make it work. Um, But it's exciting because the field's super wide open. I think if you're in a sport like baseball, they've had a lot of these analytics concepts nailed down since the eighties. And in hockey, it's just kind of happening still right now, especially at non NHL level. So there's a ton of room to grow. That's exciting. There's a ton of room to grow because we're not very far yet either. All right. That's a great segue because I'm, I was just talking to my friend the other day about baseball. I grew up a baseball, a Reds fan and baseball today versus like 20 years ago, like what's called the nineties is like, it's a different sport. Like the sport is no longer played the way it was even 10, 20 years ago. Do you think that hockey will have a similar evolution? And as a follow-up, do you think that it's necessarily a good thing? I would argue that baseball is worse, but I'm obviously like pro analytics. Like I think that like, it's, it's a good thing that hockey is like, like you said, there's a ton of room to grow, but at least it's like trending in the right direction. But is this, is this always going to be a good thing? You know what I mean? Yeah, I think it's a great question. I think it's a question that we should be asking ourselves all the time. Is the game being pushed in the right direction? Is the game being improved with what it is we're tracking? There was a worry kind of early on when Corsi was becoming the main thing that players would gain their Corsi by just firing the puck towards the net anytime you could get your Corsi percentage up, you know, and uh, pump up your your future salary or whatever your team's results that way. That hasn't really seemed to actually be a thing. So um, I think we're a long way from analytics hurting hockey by driving in that direction. I think we've got a lot of, of room to grow there first before it could be a negative. Um, Baseball, you can see how, because it's so turn-based and isolated event oriented, um, you can get into like a three true outcomes kind of situation where the analytics say do this, 
and you've got one player at one time and you can say, here's what you do. But in a fluid game like basketball, like soccer, like hockey, um, you have players that are choosing from three, four, five decisions at every moment. And so I think that fluidity will always make analytics in the first place trickier to do. And in the second place, less of a risk to take the game over entirely because players are always interacting with others in a million unpredictable ways and in a way we just don't see in baseball. So, um, you know, I'm on the analytic side. So do I think it's eventually going to hurt the game? I don't think so, but um, (laughs) you know, I have a vested interest there too. Um, But I, I don't think hockey as a sport is designed in a way that could be taken over maybe quite the way that baseball has seen analytics take over. I'm curious how you've seen it take over the OHL a little bit, because obviously you don't have as much uh, data at the OHL level as you have the NHL level. So I'm kind of curious of maybe what your role entails with uh, Hamilton there. And then also kind of what you've seen throughout the league and how teams have changed their approaches. Yeah. And so, um, you know, to the extent that I can, um, you know, say anything at all specific, um, I think the OHL is a place where there's a lot of people like me, um, guys and women also, who are trying to do what you can with the resources that are available. So we're not talking about, you know, billion dollar corporations, multi-million dollar corporations. We're talking about a smaller scale. And so the idea is, what can you do? Um, What data can you scrape and what data can you get by hand? And depending on your resources, which stuff matters. And so for us, the idea is uh, focus on the few things that are really important and nail those and don't cast the net so wide that we're, you know, an inch deep and a mile wide or whatever that saying is. So um, for us, it's a lot about knowing our players and knowing our team, being able to say if the coaching that we're seeing for the players is actually translating into the results and then offering something to the coaches and then ultimately the players to support their development um, and really knowing a lot about ourselves and then also knowing about our opponents, but with, with a priority on knowing about our own team first and focusing on really knowing the things that we know, not getting too far and not getting too wide. I understand if you can't answer this. So if you can't just blink twice, um, has, has OHL analytics dived at all into minor hockey, like scouting? Uh, so that was my blank, my two blanks. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I think, you know, it's not saying much to say that analytics um, is going everywhere, down to every level, down to if you go watch the 10-year-old, you know, hockey in your town, there's probably somebody with an app on their phone tapping shot locations or, uh, you know, somebody writing down face-off percentage or something. So, um, yeah, it's it's at every level, not just the OHL, it goes even lower level. But I guess what I'm asking is, are you guys like utilizing, like are, are, like is Hamilton looking at say like the GTHLs 16 and under AAA, like from an analytical standpoint, or is that just like a heavy scouting presence and like leaving it at that for now? I think every team, us included is doing both. Gotcha. That's cool. Um, one thing you mentioned earlier was <clears throat> zone entries and exits um, as something that's, you know, we can go downstream and see that these over time lead to, you know, positive results. Is there anything else that you, you know, without giving away any like sort of like state secrets, which I know is something that we'll have to continue to be sensitive about, but like, is there anything else that you know, you kind of like put your finger on as, as something that's like, yeah, that's definitely something that, you know, in the public sphere, um, is something that's being tracked that like as absolutely a good indicator of future success. Yeah, I think um, expected goals wound up taking a lot of the idea that some shots are better than others, but it wound up uncovering a bunch of things that we don't know anything about publicly. Um, one thing that's really interesting is east to west movement, both for the shots a goalie stops and the shots that players take. And so we know, again, it's easier for me to, you know, speak for NHL examples. We know in places like, uh, you know, Tampa Bay or Washington, where you've got elite level Stamkos, Ovechkin type snipers, 
their XG numbers don't necessarily tend to be as high. But that's because they're setting Stamkos and Ovechkin up near the faceoff dot because they've got elite shots. And what they're working on is east to west passing to get a goalie in motion. And we don't capture a whole lot of that with the play-by-play data that's available. So that's something where if you want to know it, you've got to track it yourself right now. Maybe this tracking data the NHL is getting will contain something there too. But until we see that, you know, I'm a little skeptical that we'll see it publicly for everybody. Um, And I don't know what it'll look like. So I think that's one thing where that East to West movement, it might explain why a team consistently outscores their expectation, but we have to do the legwork ourselves right now. Um, The zone entries is another one where um, Corey Schneider, again, to double tap uh, a hat tip to him. Um, we know that zone exits are really important, but that's really far away from creating scoring opportunities. So you're talking about a move before a move before a move when you're talking zone exits. So linking that up to successful results is a little trickier. But zone exits, we know if you enter clean, you get twice as many shots as if you enter with a dump in. So right off the bat, you're looking for those clean entries. But the next level of that is, is there something we can find with the lane that you drive? Like, are you, should we be looking for these left and right wing drives into the zone? Or should we be trying to emphasize a center lane drive for a zone entry? Does that wind up creating more shots ultimately? Does that wind up limiting the cross-ice passing that's available as a second option when we do that? Um, and do we create more with a pass across the blue line than we do having somebody carry it in and then maybe get pinched off at the half wall? So those are some of the things where I have questions. And some people are starting to do the work publicly to show the answers. Um, but if somebody's, you know, listening to this interview and thinking, how do I, how do I do something or where's a field that hasn't been explored much so I can get in? It's places like that where you can track these offensive zone actions that we don't have lots of data on. Um, and then what, sorry, one last one I throw in is net front uh, presence and screening. We have nothing on that at all whether goalies are getting screened and giving up shots and we don't know why, or the impact of a Wayne Simmons type in Toronto, what that actually contributes to scoring when you've got somebody who can get to the net front and block the goalie. So again, those are places where I have questions and we're trying to find some answers on those. Um, But there's a lot, a lot of territory to cover there. I just joined goalie nation and started putting on the pads after a full career of Skating out, and uh, I can say that screens are not as challenging as I thought they'd be, uh, surprisingly. You can pretty much kind of guess where the open net is that you're leaving, and you can have an idea where the puck's going to go. So, are you I'm playing not like sure. league, though? I don't know, man. I'm not sure. Like, your experience is necessarily indicative of. Uh... Yeah. I don't know, Dan. Tell me how, how many times you put on the pads. I mean, I'm not, I'm just <laughs> trying to, you know, theorize, I guess. Uh, no. Well, so who knows? That could be surprising. I'm excited to see uh, who gets into that eventually someday. I, I take it from your, your sphere and try to put it in practice and, and put it on the coaching side. So uh, I'm kind of curious, maybe going into some, some stuff that surprised you uh, as analytics guy and weren't really expecting, but was mind blowing. And now you're like, oh, this is so obvious. Uh, I think for me, an area that I'm I'm sensitive to maybe with my background and something that I keep being having questions, being surprised is the value of those. I hate to almost say it, but the hashtag intangibles where you talk about how do different players on a line combination or different D partners, how do they fit together? And we have some ways with the data that we can say, here's a guy who hangs back as a defense partner. Here's a guy who likes to push up as a defense partner. That should be a match. Um, and then it isn't, or you get two guys who kind of just like to wheel out of the back and they work together, even though it seems like, you know, shouldn't there be some sort of stay at home presence on that pair for it to work. And so there's something about chemistry between players. And whenever we're talking analytics, we say, you know, uh, you can't measure all the inputs, but you can measure the outputs. So let's say heart and, you know, integrity and leadership and grit, all those things, those are inputs. I don't know how to measure those, but I can measure the outputs. So if these things matter, I'll see it over here. But there's still some work to be done with chemistry between players or the value of somebody who can come into a locker room afterwards and say, 
you know, we suck that period. Uh, and my Corsi percentage is 49. So I know I'm a bad player. Uh, but here's what I need you guys to do. And then players are actually better. They respond. You know what I mean? The, those unquantifiable uh, values that go beyond what we can measure. And just coming from a teaching background, um, you know, I, I wasn't necessarily the most effective teacher in terms of what I know or what my knowledge is. I taught all sorts of subjects that I wasn't an expert in or even close. But, you know, sometimes I could fire kids up about learning something new because I was really passionate about it. And sometimes I fell flat on my face. And, you know, what's the value of somebody who's bringing that passion um, at certain times or others? Um, I have lots of questions about that that I'm interested to see. Is that a place we get to with, I don't know, personality testing? Um, is there something we get into from sort of a mental wellness aspect as the game goes forward, knowing how players deal with stress and cope with uh, difficulties in their lives and on the ice and everywhere else? Um, I think there's a lot there, and I'm not even close to an expert on it, but I think it's probably a new frontier that'll open up as we go forward in, in hockey stats and getting to know the players better too. And I'm excited to, to see how we grow there. For sure. I've always been fascinated by lineup construction. I can't remember what year it was, but there used to be an NHL like EA video game where if you had like a playmaker and a sniper, <laughs> it was like more effective than you, obviously if you had like three playmakers or whatever. I, I, I think remember. it was NHL 14. I, I swear. I, I don't was, know. I it remember was earlier doing that. Than that. It was definitely earlier than that. It was but, 12. It, it was one of those years. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, I guess um, I'm curious your thoughts. Like if you were building a lineup, I well, actually let me stick, take another step back. I've read a lot about like the strong link versus weak link mm-hmm. game. And I think that stuff's like fascinating. Mm-hmm. And I think that hockey is really like truly kind of a gray area. So I'm interested in your, A, your opinion and B, um, you know, if you were to like build a lineup and forget the, the age, I guess, like just generally speaking, um, how would you go about building a lineup? I'll, I'll leave it open-ended on purpose. Right. So I'm super fascinated by that as well. Um, Dawson Spriggings, who was, don't tell me about heart works for the Colorado Avalanche. Now he did the, um, sort of statistical proof that hockey is more like a strong link game and Alex Novet uh, was the other who did some good work in that the idea that hockey is something like um, something like a strong link game where you're better to have the best player on the ice even if you've got to make it up with the rest um, than you are to have sort of five medium talent players on the ice all at once whereas soccer is like a weak link game where you're only as good as the worst player you have on the pitch for your side so um, it's, that's where the, the sort of research stands, but it is interesting to wonder about, um, how do players fit together in this scenario? How do we, you know, sort of like you're saying with NHL 14 or NHL 09 or whatever it ends up being, you know, if you have Nicholas Backstrom and Alex Ovechkin, the data would tell us that these are maybe your two best players. So you split them up, you put somebody on line one, somebody on line two, cause they can each drive their own line. And that lengthens your roster best. But everybody knows what the impact of a Backstrom with an Ovechkin is. Having those two players together is something you can't ignore. The perfect playmaker, the perfect sniper. And so is there some gray area there in hockey where it isn't quite weak or strong link? It's something else. Hockey is ultimately maybe more like basketball in terms of the number of people on the, the quarter ice. But, you know, LeBron James can play the entire game and Sidney Crosby is never going to play more than a third. So I agree with you that there's definitely a gray area um, and room to push out there. I suspect you're still best off to take your three best players and give them their own line. Take your two or three best defensemen and spread them out. If you want to load up on a power play, go for it. Don't play your fourth line at all and really just sort of stick (laughs) with your strongest players. Um, Easy for me to say as a, a deaf player, you know, sort of afraid to get out on the ice in uh, high impact situations. But um, if I was building a roster to sort of speak to your second question, I think the single most important spot is what Greg has switched to by strapping on the pads. I think a team goes about as far as their goalie takes them, um, whether it be Greg or, or not. And 
maybe the Leafs are a good You, you don't want me back there. You got problems. <laughs> hey, you said you have no problem with screens, so I'm already Seriously. interested in what you can do. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Just don't shoot uh, on the ice and we're good. <laughs> um, and so I think goaltending winds up being the most important. We've got a, you know, sort of J.S. Jiguer, Anton Kadobin story every year where a goalie puts his team on his back and drags him through you, you, sort of Junis uh, – Corpusalo for the Blue Jackets. You know, we get these stories every year where a goalie can just carry a team in hockey. And so it seems like if I was going to pick a place to start, I would say, give me the 10 out of 10 goalie, and then I'll start figuring out the rest from there. The problem is we know year over year, over year correlation for goalie performance is really, really poor. And so you can have Frederick Anderson be top five two years ago, and he was one of the bottom 10 out of the starters last year. And what changed? I don't know. We only have 31 starters in the NHL drawing from every goalie on the planet. And so they're all good. And so that variation winds up being really high. Um, So my answer really sucks, I guess, is what I'm saying on this, where I think the team with the best goalie starts uh, with the big leg up. And I don't know how to tell you who's going to be the best goalie next year. I don't think anybody does. So in lieu of that, you want to have the best center you can and you want to have the best right-hand shot defenseman you can, and then you try to spread your second, third, and fourth fourth best players out through your lineup as much as possible. But uh, it's kind of a vague answer, unfortunately. I'm good with it. I'm of the idea, and I haven't tested this, but just my own experience, is to find pairs on the offensive line and then spread those out. So I'd rather have my six best on – two on the first, two on the second, two on the third, and then put like a four-checker or someone who's going to be third guy high Um, on that last one to kind of spread it out. And I I found good effect to that rather than loading up one line with three players and just having two really strong lines and two that just don't get scored on fingers crossed. Um, So I'm not sure how that works out, but that would be something curious. And I found success as a coach doing it. And usually uh, coaches were not that dumb, but we can be proven wrong. (laughs) Well, what you're describing is almost like uh, it's like a Matthews with Nylander, but then Zach Hyman on the other wing, right? Where you've got, two people who work together really well and then the digger who's going to go into the corner and he's going to run through the crease and he doesn't need the puck. And so we've seen some evidence of how that can be very effective at the NHL level. Um, But then that the next question you get asked, or I think you have to ask is how many teams have enough offensive talent or prime defensive talent, whatever, that you can put two of them together with a banger put two of them together on the next line with a plugger. How many teams have even four really highly talented offensive players to even get two lines deep? Or are you already out of players that you can pair up? Would you be better off to say, we're a team that actually has only three. And as soon as we pair two of them up, now we have a good top line, a second line that's on an island, two lines we can't play. Or do you put those top three guys, top three girls, lines one, two, and three, and can you make a William Nylander out of a Zach Hyman if you've got Austin Matthews in between? And I think that's coach by coach, team by team, but um, the pairs part is definitely something prevalent, and I think there's probably something to it. If you're John Tortorella, do you split up or keep together Zach Wierenski and Seth Jones? Okay, so I can answer that both ways. In theory, uh, so the first answer is in theory, you split them up because it's your two best defensemen, so why not have – them split up and you've got the best defenseman on the ice, whatever winds up being 80% of the game. Mm-hmm. But um, I chart uh, success for pairs and lines throughout the season. And the Warensky Jones pair was one of Columbus's most ineffective pairs. And it doesn't surprise me because the, the theory tells us, you know, these are two guys who both want the puck. They both run their defense pairs. You stick them together and you've always got one person wondering what their job is. So they were best off when they had Jones with a depth guy like uh, Savard or like a Nutavera or whatever, and give Wierenski the same sort of treatment where he's got Gavrikov or somebody else as his partner. You got somebody with a role defined as hang back because the other's, other guy's about to create, and then let the creator create with the puck on his stick. So um, I say split them up, but I can see what the temptation for a Tortorella is to have your, your best two guys together, especially if you go back in the locker room between periods and they're asking for it. I did some uh, charting of Wierenski's goals, and he was actually better on his offsides. 
So if he was on the right side as a lefty. So I'm, I'm curious to see maybe your thoughts on playing a lefty on a right side and a righty on a, on the other side. So swap them so they're strong sides towards the uh, middle of the ice. Yeah, well, uh, Dom Gallimini, so that's uh, – he was uh, doing the hero charts originally on Twitter and works with uh, Stathletes now. He did uh, some research on that showing that, by and large, a left and a right uh, defenseman work best together. If you don't know who they are, just blindly so, that that kind of a pairing works best when they've got their proper side. Um, but I think that there is a lot of area, especially with an offensively talented player, to flip their side. So, like, do I want to ask um, – trying to think of somebody who's kind of lumbering <laughs> or, or maybe – without insulting anybody in particular, maybe let's say like a Hal Gill from a few years ago. Like, do you really want to ask somebody with a big long stick who's not a puck carrier to be on his offside? Probably not. But can you ask Zach Wierenski to handle pucks off the boards on his backhand if he can really score when he's on his offside? Yeah. And I think the Leafs are another uh, place that I know lots about it. Can Morgan Riley maybe be on either side? Yeah, probably. Wierenski, sure. Quinn Hughes, Kale McCarr, can you ask players like this to kind of be a rover and be anywhere? Yeah, I think that's a good use of them probably. But you probably can't take it guy by guy by guy, girl by girl by girl, um, because some players just have limitations with their handedness. But uh, you're right. I've got a shot map that I keep updated night by night. And Zach Wierenski's is a beautiful thing. He kind of gets anywhere, and he kind of shoots from anywhere, and he can kind of score from everywhere. So you want him – not to be necessarily tied to maybe either side, just given the freedom to roam, knowing he's got somebody who's going to be back on the times when it, it doesn't go right. Do you think that we're heading to a place in, you know, the next five years where we're like positionless hockey is almost like a norm or maybe at least the current setup is being challenged more? I hope so. That's the idea, right? That total hockey where you can say, um, you know, you trust the wingers to rotate back and be the defender, even if the rush gets going the other way. You trust your defensemen to know where the right passes are if they wind up stuck in the zone deep. Um, I think that that opens up a lot in hockey that we haven't seen yet, where, you know, players aren't kind of stuck like table hockey in their lanes. And it empowers people to be creative in a sport that had a long period of dump the puck in, hit the guy in the corner, rush the front of the net there's a lot of room for the the game to grow with a five-man five-woman unit positionless um and we've seen some teams kind of dabble with it a guy like Wierenski tips his hat to it Jake Gardner was always the total hockey guy with the least two and I'll you know be on my deathbed defending him as uh one of the best you know sort of defensemen uh you know in the league for a little bit I I loved him I had all sorts of time for him but people I'm on the Dermot train for this one right (laughs) okay sure 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 and just that idea that you are empowered to go anywhere on the ice because you trust your teammates to be in the right place too. That synergy probably unlocks something between five people on the ice together. I don't think we've seen a lot of it in hockey yet. We're seeing it in basketball too, right? That idea that, uh, you know, somebody like LeBron James, like what's his position? It's every position. And what's Anthony Davis? You know, like he's a center unless he's not a center, unless he's jacking threes. So basketball is going under that revolution where you can really expose defenders if they don't know where you might go. And if you're empowered to be anywhere, and I would love to see that in hockey too. And we've, we've seen some examples, but we've got a ways to go there for, for coaches to be able to accept it. And for coaches to be able to sit in front of a microphone at the end of the night and say, you know, yeah, that's what we're telling our players to do. We're letting them take these risky offensive chances. And that's, that's how we play. That's what we believe in. Sounds like a Chicago steal right there. But uh, I, want, I actually <laughs> want to go back slightly on uh, what you were talking about earlier. You said the center, you know, find the best center. Well, there's a team out there that's doing something very curious, the Vegas Golden Knights. And I think they're basically saying, we don't really care about centermen. Mm-hmm. We can find them anywhere and plug them in our lineup because they're going with Marcus So, Patch on the wings on one side. On the other, they got Riley Smith, Mark Stone. And then you got your top three centers are Carlson Stevenson, either Glass or Nosek. So I don't know. Is there anything to that or should we be focusing? And even in the draft, they're like, oh, he's a center. So we're going to pick the center over the wing. But they got the goalie, Greg. They got two. They got, they got <laughs> yeah, two. in brackets with an S. They got the goalies. I'm going to withhold judgment on Vegas till we see this go because they, you know, only just got rid of Paul Stastny in the middle, who was at least a decent 
middle six centerman still. William Carlson is, you know, perennially underrated except for the one wild bill year where he really scored um, a ton. And last year he scored under expectation, but he's a really good center. So I think so far Vegas has only been a team that was a couple of centers deep. We haven't seen them move the way that it looks like they might move too far yet. Um, If you're in a unique position like having Mark Stone on one of your wings, you could probably get away without a center because Mark Stone is like, you know, the vacuum cleaner that sucks up all mistakes. He can kind of cover for any center. Um, So that buys you one line without needing a premier center to do everything. But they do get pretty thin there after that. So uh, they'll be interesting to watch to see, but I don't think we've seen a team fully embrace that yet. Is it a position that maybe we could see something? Yeah, maybe eventually. But um, I think Vegas is more of a situation of having backed themselves into a cap corner really quickly. Despite only being in the league for a few years, they've really walked themselves into the same corners everybody else is in. Um, and so the Stassi thing is more about, like, we can't afford our players more than anything else, more than maybe an ideological shift. But maybe I'm wrong, and they're doing something winger-driven, and that'll be interesting to see. I'm calling it. It's, it's definitely a thing. I think the centers are, are perennially overvalued. I think the most best, the best players – in youth hockey, always get put there because it's the center of the, the web kind of. But yeah. I, I think at the NHL level, they're more facilitators and allow those wingers to, to really drive the offense. So I'm, I'm going to go on a way big, huge ledge here and uh, go out on that one and say that, that is the case, knowing no stats. But I just, I just, well, I was just going to say, we're going to so look back at this episode and just rag on you like one day. I'm jotting that down in my notes right now. Stuff that I'm going to go back and <laughs> I want to see which one of us was right or wrong in the end of the year. So, Yeah, I got it in my notes too. So we're, we're going to figure this one out. If, if yeah. Vegas makes the playoffs and wins the cup, I – Makes the playoffs. Come on. Yeah, I'll retire immediately if that occurs. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, on record. I'll rec- I like it. I like Come it. On. Come on. <laughs> Sean, you have these uh, player cards for free agents that you're unveiling at Charting Hockey. I'm curious if you could tell us maybe – who your favorite doesn't have to be like a marquee player, but maybe who you're like, that was a sneaky good UFA pickup from the off season so far. Yeah. It's kind of a blur. The past few days has been like, you know, <laughs> I brought them to life and then have been trying to write something for every player that's gone through. Um, a couple that stood out. One was Corey Crawford. Um, before really digging into him, I, I didn't realize just how long he's been great. He's basically been great for a decade with a couple of blips along the way where he was around average, but he's basically been excellent forever. And, you know, he, he looked like his career was done uh, when he was suffering from the vertigo issues and it looked like maybe he's not playing anymore. And he came back last year, Chicago's defense was historically awful in front of him and he was great again. So um, I think that was a sneaky move going to a team that has a young goalie as his partner, he's going to be needed to kind of, you know, play some minutes there still. So I like that one a lot. They didn't pay a ton for him. Um, and so that one, I think, was an interesting one. I liked the Eric Gustafson one a little bit. I think he's a pretty impactful offensive defenseman. Um, Philadelphia got him pretty cheaply. So I think that one was kind of sneaky. I got some blowback when I said I like that move. Uh, just, you know, is he not ghost bear all over again in Philly? But um I have him rated better than that. So I think that's an interesting one. Um, And then maybe, you know, one year isn't what you want, but Buffalo came out of absolute nowhere to snag Taylor Hall and they've got nothing to lose. You know, that, that was a team that was just perennially, they're not in the playoffs. They're not close to the playoffs. If they even snuck in, it's not going anywhere. And they added the most impactful forward in the entire market. So um, they've got one year to see if that works. That works for Hall to be only one year, but it works for Buffalo too. If this thing sucks, they walk away. So um, I think that one for Buffalo, it's just a huge win, especially for a new GM in town to pull that one off. Um, I think that was pretty good for them too. And when you add Eric Stahl, who's still not completely done uh, either, their team's going to look a lot different. Uh, and I think it'll probably, you know, it's not going to hurt, especially the way they've been the past seven, eight years. So um, I think that ultimately, even though Hall was big money, that wasn't a bad move either. He is cheaper than Jeff Skinner by a million a year and, <laughs> and a few, few terms. So just throwing that one out there. But yeah, I think yeah, Philly yeah, might, 
I think Philly might actually be doing a shift in their focus. I think they read our piece. We, we do have someone on the, in the Philly organization that is a part of our newsletter. So I think they finally read our piece about point shots suck. They, mm-hmm. they got Gustafson. They've got Gustafs there. Um, Provorov, if he doesn't, you know, if he wises mm-hmm. up and stops taking so many point shots, they could be onto something here with maybe going more of a rover type system and, and their second round pick, uh, Emil Andre. Yeah, I mean, he's a love small guy who can really move and wicked smart. So I, th- I think the Flyers might be doing some some shifting in their their focus on how they create offense. Yeah, absolutely. I think Gustafson just isn't the kind of player that uh, they tend to target. You think of them as looking for kind of more like a James Van Riemsdyk type of guy. Like that was a move that seemed very Flyers-y when it happened. Um, but, you know, these moves maybe are a little bit more offensive-oriented, a little less crit-oriented. So – they had some success this year. They finally got the goalie in place, too. They've got some depth in the forward group. And, you know, Giroux's only got so much time left before it's all over him, too. So maybe they do make a shift and they can get something done before, you know, that Voracek-Giroux sort of era is over. All right, last one for me, Sean. And thanks for your time. Really appreciate it. This is uh, – I wanted to ask you about this earlier, but we kind of transitioned to the NHL talk. So. Um, I'm curious, you know, when you're – because, you know, you're dealing with an OHL coaching staff, but you're also, you know, obviously working for, like, the players. Have you had any challenges, maybe, like, pushback even, um, where, like, an idea of yours or, like, a proof of yours, um, you know, is, like – I don't know. I'm trying to think how to say it. Has there ever been an instance where, you know, the coaching staff's kind of like pushed back on something and you don't have to like throw them under the bus, but maybe even just like a, like a difference of opinion or something where you think you're onto something and then the, and the team maybe goes a different way, or maybe not even with the OHL, but just in general with hockey where like you really think that you're onto something, but like, it's just not widely accepted. Well, I kind of have a couple of answers, I guess. The main one is because the work that I've done sort of um, publicly, is in the OHL. Not every team does have a director of analytics or whatever, even though that is the kind of role that's growing. And so teams that do have brought someone like me in because they're interested or inclined in the first place. So, uh, you know, the unsexy answer is no, I haven't really had a situation like that because I think, you know, a voice like mine was something that this team was looking for right off the bat, knowing what they might get, knowing that I might say some things that were different or challenging. And, um, you know, my, my job is to present things that maybe they hadn't thought of and not in an aggressive way or in an I'm right way, because, you know, I'm wrong as often as I'm right. And data doesn't tell you everything. It's more about, you know, here's some ideas or here's some things. Have you considered they do the same for me? And and that dialogue's really key. So, um, no, unfortunately, I don't have like a great story there of, you know, butting heads with anybody. That's good. Yeah, <laughs> right. About think, the opposite is something where you presented it and they're like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And then they went out and did it and won a game or something. Well, I think, uh, you know, there's there's not so many things where I can toot my own horn. I won't. But um, I think the lineup stuff that, you know, Dan, you were mentioning earlier, I think that's a place where teams are uh, interested and where there's a common language between the data and the coaching where you can say, you know, the data says these guys work together and the coaches say, Oh, I hadn't even thought of that. Like these two guys, I would never put them together. Well, it doesn't cost me a lot to run them out there for a period and give them three, four shifts together and just see. So there's been times where, you know, I think a line combo idea, that's a really easy one to just give it a shot. doesn't hurt to try, but sometimes you unlock something when the data says, Hey, try these guys together. And the coaches can say, well, yeah, I can get away with a period where, you know, I stuck a couple guys together I never would have otherwise. So, um, you know, some interesting times along that way, but times where I've said, you know, have you considered this? And, you know, it's a face plant right away too. So <laughs> lots of room to, for me to learn, you know, as well as present ideas that might be interesting or different. Awesome. Well, this has been a lot of fun here. Uh, we've, we've gotten through a lot of ground here, so. I think we might have covered everything, but I, I always love to leave the last two minutes open for you to do anything you want. You can take it and read the dictionary or plug mm-hmm. something that you're doing, but the floor is all yours. And uh, also maybe a book recommendation. Uh, I know a lot of us read and are always trying to get better. and It's part of what we do. So maybe a book recommendation and 
floor is all yours. Okay, well, um, I don't have my dictionary handy. I wish I did. Um, I guess in the difficult uh, vein of uh, plugging myself, uh, I'm fortunate that I can still do public NHL level work. Um, and so you can check out chartinghockey.ca or um, if anyone listening isn't uh, following me on Twitter, I'm at chartinghockey and uh, I'll flood your timeline with all sorts of colorful pictures about hockey if that's your thing. So, that's the best. Um, <laughs> great thank you uh so those are the places to find me i'm always sort of trying to innovate new stuff and you know sometimes other sports uh there too um in terms of what i'm reading this one is going to reveal just what a uh what a life i lead but it's been all reading about uh power rankings and strategies in uh football lately is it's a sport that i didn't know a lot about a couple of years ago and i've really been diving in from a modeling perspective, um, but it isn't exactly a, a proper novel pick. But sadly, that's the, all the reading I've been doing lately, so I'll have to leave it like that, I guess. Oh, man. I know. Lead, lead us on with a little uh, wedding of the appetite, but don't give us the meat. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, so I'll uh, post some links on my Twitter feed later. All right, perfect. Well, again, really appreciate it, Sean. Thanks so much for coming on. I know I tried not to fanboy too much, but really love the work that you're doing. I appreciate that it's in the public sphere. Uh, we've lost a lot of good people, even some that you've mentioned through the episode, like DTM and, and Springings. Uh, so really appreciate you putting it out there and helping the entire community get smarter. Yeah, thanks. I, I appreciate uh, that I get to talk about it publicly still. And it's always fun to, to hop on with a couple of really knowledgeable guys like the two of you. So thanks for making time for me. Awesome. Thanks, well, thanks again. Take care. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thank you for tuning into the Hockey IQ podcast. We are Hockey's Arsenal, Greg Rivak and Dan Ducart. Together, we've come together to create a platform and a community to expand our hockey intelligence, hockey IQ, whatever you want to call it. Uh, we're very passionate about seeing this game played smarter and better and continue to develop itself uh, to the next level and staying on the cutting edge of things. So you can find us at Hockey's Arsenal on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. We're also at hockeysarsenal.com. Uh, from there, you can find some resources and some options to work with us. We're excited to continue this. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, subscribe, follow, and share. Uh, you can also join up for our newsletter as well, where we're going to tackle anything Hockey IQ related. So we're excited to have everyone here and continue to build. That concludes this week's episode. Thanks for joining us here at Hockey IQ. If you haven't already, take a quick moment to hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, and drop a review. If you want to be a great teammate, even recommend us to a friend. You can follow us at Hockey's Arsenal on Twitter and Instagram. Check out the website, hockeysarsenal.com, where you can subscribe to the weekly newsletter. You won't regret it. Catch a Buttes here next week for a brand new episode.